1: for a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Dr. Mark Plotkin is an ethnobotanist and a plant explorer in the neotropics, where he's an expert on rainforest ecosystems. Plotkin is an advocate for tropical rainforest conservation and host of Plant of the Gods, hallucinogens, healing, culture and conservation podcast. This is a man who knows about how nature can truly influence performance.
1: This idea where reality dissolves and you're in different places, and you can travel back into your past, and you can travel forward into your future, are literally mind-blowing experiences. But it's 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 not for the faint of heart, and it's not for people who really don't know how to manage this type of stuff. What what's your most
0: recent, most exciting discovery? Would you say?
1: And this is why I'm so high on Mother Nature uh, pun intended. Uh, Mother Nature <laughs> as a source of new. <laughs> And other compounds, because uh, there's so much out there, and we're still learning new stuff.
0: Doctor Plotkin, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the Performance People podcast. I think the best thing and the best way to start is probably to explain what ethnobotany is, and and sure. your whole role within that world.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for having me here. I'm an ethnobotanist by training. Ethnobotany is very simply the study of the relationship between people and plants. It's often misconstrued to think it's just the study of indigenous peoples or rainforest peoples with plants, but that's sort of a reductionist definition. So uh, a farmer in a field in Cornwall and a shaman in the Amazon with a medicinal plant, it's all part of this.
0: One of the most wonderful quotes that I've read that you, you spoke about in a TED talk you did is that the rainforest holds answers to questions that we have yet to ask. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, I do a lot of my work in the Northeast Amazon, where the little country of Suriname, formerly known as Dutch Guiana, meets up with Brazil. And during COVID, uh, the indigenous peoples found a plant that they used to prevent COVID and uh, had a concoction of different plants they used to cure COVID if you got it. Now, is that proof that that is effective? No, but that's how science starts. You hear uh, an idea that's that's a hypothesis, essentially, it needs to be tested, Nobody had thought of COVID before. Nobody thought of looking for cures or prevention, preventative aspects uh, for COVID because there was no COVID. Uh, just like before that, there was no AIDS. So there are new diseases on the hunt. Uh, COVID is not the end of the story. And by protecting nature, and, and and in so doing, I'm not just talking about the Amazon, I'm talking about the boreal forest in Canada, talking about the forests of Northern Europe, and the oceans also full of organisms that could have curative purposes. So the point being, by protecting nature, we keep our options open. Remember that Mother Nature has been creating weird and wonderful chemicals for 3 billion years. That's a lot longer than we've been doing synthetic chemistry. So clearly Mother Nature still has some uh, lessons to teach us and some great medicines to share with us.
0: I know that you've heard this many times before, but it feels to me like this is um, this is a calling, the work in which you you do and the world in which you live. And there is a there is a mystery about it that feels a little bit Indiana Jones. I know you will have heard that before. Um, but, But does that resonate with you? Because it does feel like you're always on this exciting voyage of exploration, whichever, wherever this takes you.
1: Well, when people ask about Indiana Jones, I'm always proud to point out that Harrison Ford is indeed one of our supporters. And I'm also quick to point out that Indiana Jones was a tomb robber. So the comparison is not always (laughs) a flattering one, but it is important to point out that Indiana Jones inspired generations of kids to become uh, anthropologists, archaeologists, and and all sorts of other scientists. So as an icon of uh, the public imagination, I think that that whole genre has played a very positive role in engaging people in the, the romance uh, and adventure of the rainforest and rainforest cultures. Although I will point out that if there were that many indigenous peoples chasing Indiana Jones or you or me with a bow and arrow, you uh, would look like a pincushion instead of escaping unscathed.
0: <laughs> so so on the various adventures that you've been on, what's, what's been... Um, the most fascinating or the greatest lesson that you've taken from working with these people in these cultures and in these worlds?
1: Well, I would say that our continual underestimation of the power of their knowledge and their healing. It's a mistake to think that indigenous peoples know everything and shamans can cure everything, but it's equally, if not more, stupid to say, well, they didn't go to medical school, so what can they know about healing? And I have seen them treat and cure things which uh, did not respond well to Western medicine, which is proof positive that they know things that we don't, just like we know things that they don't. So what we're advocating here is not to say we should all run off to the jungle whenever we have a a sunburn or a fungal infection of the skin, but the idea that we should just erase the jungle and replace it with monoculture plantations of corn or wheat or rice or whatever is uh, much more stupid.
0: What, what have you seen with your own eyes? What have you seen these people be able to do with the knowledge that they have from, from living in these environments?
1: In very simple and straightforward terms is a fungal infections of the skin. I mean, if you live on the equator in 100% humidity with constant rainfall and you can't cure fungal infections of the skin, you are a fungal infection of the skin. So many times I've had fungal infections of the skin treated and cured by these indigenous peoples. So, again, I emphasize they can't cure everything, um, but uh, they can cure a lot of things. Uh, they wouldn't be there if they couldn't. So the, the, this idea that, you know, the sooner they join the modern world, the sooner they wear clothes, the sooner they get technology, the better off uh, they and we will be is uh, wildly mistaken.
0: And how did you end up doing the, the work that you, you are doing currently? How did you end up um, on, this, on this pathway?
1: It's a good question, Georgie. You know, it wasn't a straight, straightforward path. I dropped out of college because I was 19 years old, and my interest did not lie in uh, in the academic area. But I took a job as a gopher at a museum at Harvard. I did love nature, um, and it seemed to me that sciences was less and less interested in nature and more interested in cells and molecules and stuff like that. A tiny biologist, in the words of Jean Maillet, the president of of Tufts College, where I did my My PhD. So, in working at the museum, I found out that there was a night school, and I found out there was this wonderful old professor who'd gone down to the Amazon in 1941 and essentially went native for over a decade. His name was Richard Evans Schultes, and he's now widely regarded as the father of ethnobotany. And I just followed in his footsteps. And I I, I might add that Schultes was not just a great ethnobotanist, but he was an inspiration to a lot of people. Eo Wilson. Probably the greatest biologist of the 20th century said that Schultes was his hero. Allen Ginsberg, the beat poet, said that Schultes was his hero. And I defy anyone to find uh, somebody who was a hero to both Theo Wilson and Allen Ginsberg besides Richard Evan Schultes.
0: So when you say you followed in his footsteps, where did that take you, first of all?
1: Well, Seeing a fellow that went to live with people who were regarded at the time, even when I was in college in the 70s, regarded as primitive people. Well, he, here was this Harvard professor, uh, very stolid and, and staid, saying, no, they know more than we do. They may not have uh, last names. They may not be able to write. They may not even be wearing pants, but they know more than I do and more than I ever will. And that was really sort of an earth shaking uh, idea. And, of course, once I got down there, I, I saw that he was right, not that I doubted him in the first place. Now we live in an age where everybody's done ayahuasca and everybody's interested in hallucinogens, but uh, when I was coming up, that was, it was a pretty radical idea that the shamanic tools like psilocybin, ayahuasca, uh, could help with certain mental challenges, mental health problems that Western medicine was not particularly good at treating or curing. So now we live in the psychedelic renaissance where everybody... Uh, has certainly heard that these things have therapeutic potential. Many of us have tried these things with therapeutic potential. Many of us have benefited, but the flip side of it is that these things can be dangerous as well. I have a podcast called Plants of the Gods, Hallucinogens Healing Culture and Conservation. And I always point out that these hallucinogens, entheogens so-called, are essentially psychedelic scalpels and that they can be used to heal and they can be used to hurt. So the idea that these are natural products, so if you just take more and more psilocybin, you're going to get better and better, is clearly uh, not only foolish, but dangerous. These types of things, which really uh, affect your mental software, need to be taken under the guidance of a guide, uh, ideally a shaman. Now, there aren't enough shamans to go around, given the ever-increasing demand. But the idea that you can order ayahuasca on the Internet and sit around with your homeboys and take it, And uh, the only good things come of it is wildly uh, inaccurate.
0: So, just tell me a bit more about what that feels like, because I've I've never been in that position. So, I'm fascinated by the world in which you inhabit when you're taking this the right way. What what happens? What are the changes that you see, and what are the effects?
1: Well, Timothy Leary went on endlessly about the importance of set and setting. In other words, this isn't something you want to do on a crowded. Uh, 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 tube um, with a lot of people around you yammering and crowded together and sweating. Uh, On the other hand, I do think that he missed the most important S, which is that of Shaman. Like I said, you need somebody in charge, you need somebody who can help you if you get in trouble, which has happened to me on a couple of occasions. So this idea where reality dissolves and you're in different places and you can travel back into your past and you can travel forward into your future or literally mind-blowing experiences but it's it, it's not for the faint of heart and it's not for people who really don't know how to manage this type of stuff. Uh, Michael Pollan in a couple of his great books uh, has written that the people who are most at risk in these types of experiences the people who have emotional issues which uh, ironically and most dangerously are the people who have the most to lose and the people who often seek out this. I mean I, I'm amazed by the number of people who find a shaman um uh, on the uh on the internet i mean i don't know if yelp rates ayahuasca shamans i suspect uh, they quite probably do but uh this is not an experience that you would want to engage in um and and some people do it and they and they get uh cured or better or or find this a uh, an important experience and some people do it and it's pretty terrible so that when you are essentially Opening your mind to all sorts of experiences, good and bad, when you have the opportunity to confront your fears and your traumas, which is why many people seek out these experiences, particularly uh, as a result of sexual trauma, it can turn bad pretty quickly. And that's why I always discourage people to think of these things as lightly. Look, uh, drinking ayahuasca is not like having a beer or smoking a joint. You know, these are, these are deeper world you're going into and you don't want to go there by yourself.
0: And so what happens when it goes wrong? I mean, how do you, you, you don't know, obviously, as like you've just said, which is really interesting, the very people that seek out this sort of thing are perhaps vulnerable to some, some something because they're searching for something and searching perhaps for some answers, whatever that might be. So what do you do? How can you control things when they do go bad? I mean, like you've said, you have to be in the vicinity of somebody that knows what they're doing, but how do they get you out of that state?
1: Well, they're the guide and the teacher and the mentor and the leader. And that role is not obviously restricted to the world of psychedelics. You always want to have somebody you can look to if you're in danger or you're going to a place where you haven't been or you're facing challenges you haven't seen. I mean, that's human nature. That's not that's not restricted to the psychedelic renaissance by any means so i think having somebody you can turn to i mean uh look i'm 68 years old and there's still people i regard as as leaders and and advice givers uh some of the elders i work with in the amazon that i can ask questions about and and learn from but i i, I just one of the reasons these psychedelics are so potentially powerful is because they really take you to places where you can't get on your own and why you need somebody who can pull you out or guide you or 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 just help you if you get in trouble. I mean, you know, the term bad trip, there really are bad trips. And those of us who had extensive experience with these mind-altering substances have had bad trips. Sometimes a bad trip is what you need, according to the shamans. But you don't want to be in a bad place by yourself and not know how to get out.
0: So uh, where the shamans are concerned... Um, uh, uh, you you wrote as well and you've spoken about the fact that uh, how they perceive themselves and that's quite telling as well isn't it it's lot sort of as somebody that knows everything about everything and that there isn't an ego involved how 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 can you um explain that the 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 um approach they have to the work that they do and who they are as people
1: well there's a tradition in the northwest amazon my organization the amazon conservation team on the web at amazonteam.org Uh, does a lot of our work in Colombia. The Colombian Amazon is extremely important because it's the most isolated corner of the Amazon, very high in biological diversity, very high in culture diversity. And there, the shamans of the ayahuasca culture uh, will say to you, if somebody is yammering on about what a great shaman they are, they're not a shaman. Now, that's a bit simplistic, but if you ask one of them, are you a shaman? Are you a pajé? Are you a taita? Which is the word they use. uh, They will say, well, some say that I am. But if they say that they are, they're pounding their chest about what a great healer they are, don't believe them. Now, that's a bit simplistic, but it's, it, it speaks to a, a greater truth. Is that somebody who's always, it's like somebody always telling you how rich they are. I mean, uh, a certain American politician comes to mind. If somebody's telling you how rich they are constantly, there's a pretty good chance that they aren't that rich, uh, as, as we see in the press these days. So I'd like, When shamans tell me that's not something I can treat, Uh, go to a doctor, or you need to see another shaman, it's when these people start telling you they know all, see all, can cure all, that you should be willing to be um, a bit cynical.
0: And how much time have you been able to spend with these people, Dr. Plotkin?
1: Well, my career is different than most ethnobotanists in that I've been working with some of the same indigenous peoples for over four decades, and that's created a a unique relationship. I think that this whole idea that I grew up with on Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan films is you go to the village and you say, take me to your leader, and then you dance around the fire and you're blood brothers forever. I mean, that doesn't work. That doesn't work in the jungle. That doesn't work in a singles bar, right? So relationships take time and trust and so a lot of my work is not asking about plants it's uh hanging with the homeboys to use some local speak uh if they're doing hallucinogenic stuff you've got to squad there in the dirt and do the hallucinogenic stuff with them i mean that's my job
0: how long did it take for them to or for you to gain their trust i mean because you mentioned the word trust and i can see that would be very important in this relationship
1: Georgie, that's a question I get all the time. And the answer is I'm not sure, because it's not like, uh, you know, you answer three questions and you're their pal forever. I mean, one of the shamans I was with last week in the Northeast Amazon was showing me new medicinal plants. Now, I've known this guy for four decades, which means after four decades, he's still showing me new medicinal plants. It makes me wonder, well, what is he not telling me, right? What else is out there? And I've collected over 300 plants with this one shaman. Okay, And he's still showing me new stuff, which speaks to how much they really know and how it isn't a question of just showing up, say, take me to your leader, and they just fork over the info. It doesn't work that way. So the, the short answer to your question is a trust is, is a relationship and a journey. It's not something you earn or are giving on the first or second date.
0: It feels like we can learn so much from them and from their culture and their knowledge. What, what can they learn from us? Can they learn anything from us? <laughs>
1: Well, one of the most important things that we've done with the Amazon conservation team is indigenous mapping. And what's unique about our approach is we give them the GPSs and train them how to use it, and they make their own map. That's important for a variety of reasons, because if you don't map it, you don't own it, first of all. Second of all, it introduces technology in a culturally sensitive way. In other words, instead of going in there and saying, oh, they're Indians, we don't want to ruin them by giving them an iPhone, Uh, Or the flip side of it is saying, oh, let's just give them all the technology and and they'll be better off creates other problems. I mean, uh, one of the tribal leaders in the Colombian Amazon told me that there were women of his tribe who became so addicted to iPhones, they had to prostitute themselves to get the money to buy SIM cards. So, so much for the idea that technology has no downside. However, um, the mapping is something we taught them how to do. And they went off on their own and did it. And then they taught the next tribe over and then the next tribe over. And as a result, there's 100 tribes in Amazonia, 100 groups. Uh, we estimate there's a total between three and 400. We have had the honor and privilege of working with over 100 of these and helping them make their own maps. So again, I, I, this idea that, well, we have nothing, they have nothing learned from us. We have stress related heart disease and we have COVID and everything we have is bad. And they're the noble savages and we should have learned everything from them. No, that's, it's, it's not that simple. In, in turn, on there's the same. To every difficult question, there is an answer which is both simple and wrong.
0: I like it. I like it. You must feel very protective of them. Are, are they uh, you know are these people um do, do they need extra protection? Are there are there various forces from outside that are causing them issues and problems and they need they need looking after in that way?
1: They do and and that takes two forms. One is using the knowledge uh resources and forces we have to protect them in a number of ways legal assistance um, uh, marking their boundaries with, with the addition of these maps. But the most important is preparing them to deal with the outside world on their own terms. You know, I, I, I shouldn't be going to the UK and and, and protecting you. Uh, if I have skills, if I'm a lawyer, maybe I can tell you about things that you or, 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 or a bastard, barrister should be able to share with you. But the idea that we should go there and protect them from the outside world, I mean, some aspects of the outside world, they welcome. You know, uh, polio vaccine, for example. Uh, They don't have that. So ultimately, it's about them making decisions, but informed decisions. So you don't have people saying, well, we got the chief to sign this. So, of course, we can clear cut his area. You know, he needs to know what the downside is. He knows what the long term looks like. And that's where people like you and me can go in there and say, look, if you do this, this is likely to happen. It's your land. It's your forest. It's your river. Uh, if you want gold mining, that's your decision. But understand, you can't drink the water. You can't eat the fish. And um, you got to start buying all your food and your water because right now it's for free. And, and in this case, you may have money in your pocket from gold, but what's, there's a trade-off involved.
0: Yeah, there are compromises they may not wish to make. One of the things that you've also talked about, which I find really interesting is, is this idea of a medical office of the future, and what that should look like. Um, And you say that involved in that process should be a physician, a shaman, a masseuse and a nutritionalist. In that order, or just, or just because fundamentally those people combined and the combined knowledge of those people is, is stronger than just one operating individually?
1: You know, one of our signature efforts the Shame is the Shaman's Apprentice program, which grew out of my uh, astonishment and sadness at seeing that the old people were not teaching the young people. Uh, we've changed that in a material way, and we're very proud of that fact. But what we haven't done is create a generation of shamans who are walking around with stethoscopes and antibiotics. These are different medical systems. I mean, when I go to my doc here in, in, in the U.S., I don't expect her to analyze me from an Ayurvedic perspective and start giving me homeopathic remedies. I mean, clearly there can be some leakage from one system to another, but all of these systems do something well, do something different. When I was a, When I was growing up, I remember people talking about acupuncture. You know, oh, my God, that doesn't make any sense. How could that work? Well, if it didn't work, how come there's so so many Chinese people? If Ayurvedic medicine doesn't make sense to us Westerners, how come there's so many Indian people? Clearly, these systems do something right. They don't do everything right. But I want to live in a world where all these systems can flourish and people like you and me have a choice. So uh, that there are shamans and there are rainforest plants and fungi that can be called upon if our doctor can't treat us in in, in London or Washington. So the idea is not to mush it all together and say we need uh, doctors in in penis strings dancing around the office if they feel we've been invaded by an ancestral spirit, but not to go down to the Amazon and have some shaman whip out a scalpel and say, I think it's your appendix.
0: My, um, my issue at the moment is a really bad back. And I was thinking, what would a shaman do with my with my bad back that I've got an issue with with my trapped nerve up here? Can you share that? Can you share that story of the time where you entered the jungle and you had some treatment on a on a was it a foot injury that was giving you trouble? Um, and you found that you were able to alleviate the pain yeah, there that way. A lot
1: of stories like that. I don't know which one you're referring to, but let me, let me start with a story in New York. There was a famous back surgeon in New York who began to wonder about the cause of back problems. So he took a hundred corpses, fifty of which were people who'd reported severe back problems and people which hadn't, and, and cracked those backs, and found out that about half of the people with severe back problems had nothing wrong with their back. And half of the people who never reported back problems did have something wrong. The point being that sometimes it's a physical problem, uh, extruded disc, and sometimes it's just stress or some other problem in your life. So what is great about shamanic medicine is it combines the physical with the spiritual. It does not happen with our, our physicians, at least in this country. I can't speak to the UK. But the point here being that shamans can sometimes cure problems Elbow problems, back problems, knee problems that our own physicians cannot, and vice versa. Okay. Uh, I had a problem in my forearm. Now, this is not the story you're asking about because I've never published this one. I had a problem in my <laughs> forearm playing too much uh, racquetball, and there's not a lot of venation there. So if you, if you damage that muscle, it doesn't heal well. I went to the doctor. She gave me injections, um, heat, cold, aspirin, painkillers. Steroids, none of it worked. And I went to the shaman, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be there for a month, work on other things. And he said, "Okay, here's the problem. At some point in your life, you had a bad relationship, and the trauma is buried in your arm. So what I need to do is pull that out, uh, soothe the tissues, and then give you a shamanic patch." And I said, "Well, what does that mean, a shamanic patch?" He says, "When you have a, a physical problem." Uh, like some people, when they get anxious or upset, they get a stomach ache. Uh, the next time they get anxious and upset, it'll come back and make their stomach hurt. That there's a, a force field called an aquale that that has a hole in it where you have a problem. You know, some people get pimples when they're nervous. Some people get uh, back aches. And so I not only have to fix your problem, I have to put this patch over it so it doesn't come back. Now that was 15 years ago, and I've had plenty of stress since then. And my uh, forearm doesn't hurt.
0: That's amazing, isn't it? That's exactly what I need right now. You, you're talking my language. I just need a shaman <laughs> to solve my problems. What about, the, um, what about the magic frog as well? I've read about this magic frog in many different places, in many different forms. What is this magic frog that people talk of um, that the shamans turn to a lot for treatment?
1: magic frog story, you and I could do an hour on, okay? Um, <laughs> it's its own my podcast. Friend, <laughs> Lauren McIntyre, um, was lost on the Brazil-Peru border uh, about 30 years ago, it was rescued by a group of indigenous peoples called the Matsez, who had killed all the white people who had trespassed on their territory, where they took a liking to him. He followed them deeper into the forest. They took up palm leaf baskets and took up frogs and began licking them burning holes in the arms and rubbing the frogs in. This is the magic frog. This is uh, now sold on the internet, God forbid, as combo. It exudes a slime uh, which is made of proteins, which is highly hallucinogenic. It's been used or looked at as a potential antibiotic for drug resistant bacteria. It is ironically and horribly been used as a painkiller in horse racing because they test for amphetamines, but they don't test for Amazonian frog slime. And so when you deaden their sense of pain, they run faster. However, there is now known to be a magic frog in the Sonoran Desert, in the the southwest of the U.S., Arizona-Mexico border, which is also highly hallucinogenic, a completely different compound. And they've now found frogs in eastern Brazil, which are incredibly poisonous. So this whole world of frogs as medicines which you know people would have laughed up up till a few years ago is 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 a burgeoning one that's really expanding and all of these are different compounds different classes of compounds and remember if you go back to paracelsus 500 years ago he said the difference between a poison and a medicine is just a question of dosage so i think uh, a lot of ethnobotanists myself included have overlooked compounds in nature whether it's frogs or plants or, or spiders where the indigenous people would say it's poisonous, don't touch it, or it's poisonous, don't eat it. Um, And maybe at a smaller dose, it would have been medicinal. And this is why I'm so high on Mother Nature, uh, pun intended, Uh, Mother Nature (laughs) as a source of new medicine and other compounds, uh, because there's so much out there and we're still learning new stuff.
0: It's so exciting that there's. It's, it's sort of this one sort of uh, that you feel like there's still things to discover, and there aren't many areas left in life where you feel like there's there's a, a tranche of stuff that's still left to be discovered that is exciting and, and can be used in such a positive way. What, what's your most recent, most exciting discovery? Would you say?
1: I would say the fact that the fungal world is almost untapped in terms of, of new benefits. I'm coming out with a editorial which will appear in Herbogram magazine, which is the magazine for herbal medicines. I mean, there's so much garbage on the internet and so much garbage in these magazines where they're repeating the same nonsense. This is the one to go to Herbogram. Um, I talk about how much is still being learned from the fungal world. I'll give you a, very, a concrete example. Taxol is a billion-dollar anti-cancer drug from the Pacific yew tree, except it's not, because scientists have just found out that it's fungi living in the leaves that are producing this compound. This is a billion-dollar drug, and we didn't even know what kingdom it came from. Okay, so it shows you how much is still out there. My pal, pal, Paul Stamets, S-T-A-M-E-T-S, and if you don't know who he is, you should watch the documentary "Fantastic Fungi." It's one of the greatest documentaries ever made. Uh, is talking about new uses for psilocybin, which was discovered by my mentor Richard Evan Schultes. But let me repeat that: discovered with air quotes, because as Schultes said, we don't discover anything. Uh, the indigenous peoples teach it to us. Uh, psilocybin was taught to him by indigenous peoples of the Mazatec tribe in southern Oaxaca, southern Mexico in the late 30s. We're still finding new uses for it. Um, We're still finding new uses for it. Uh, You know, what is it almost uh, 90 years later? Um, Stamets calls it the Einstein molecule, the Einstein drug, because not only is it useful in the psychedelic therapy for addressing uh, mental issues, But we're using it in microdosing. Microdosing is the idea of using these teeny tiny things which really don't seem to have an effect on the human body and are being used to treat insomnia um, and and, and many other ailments seemingly effectively. I mean, the scientific research is underway. So big quantities, it blows your mind. Small quantities, it uh, tweaks your mind and, and does good things.
0: what that does put, raise an interesting question what happens when there's a not a discovery as we've as we've established but um a teaching or a learning imparted whereby you can see that this is a massively massively um uh, and potentially huge um financial um uh, scenario, which which is unfolding here, you find something that really could work in, in the Western world, You're talking mega pound signs or mega dollar signs in your case. What what happens well, that, then with... That, um, that,
1: that, really is, that really is part of the challenge because the capitalist system yeah. does some things very well, but not everything. And the idea of finding yeah. the cure for AIDS or breast cancer or COVID, what have you, uh, which is a, a, a billion dollar drug potentially, is great. However, it takes over a decade to have these things verified and brought to market. I mean, as we saw with COVID, now we, we have the possibility of fast-tracking things. The question is, how do you benefit the indigenous peoples first and foremost? How do you uh, benefit the country that it comes from second and second most? And then how do you benefit all of us in terms of, of, of the benefits of these new drugs? So I think capitalism is actually not very good at this. And we've seen time and time again in the distant past where indigenous peoples taught us something. And I'm not just talking about medicinal plants. I'm talking about uh, agricultural plants, for example. I mean, corn. Corn is the most valuable plant in the U.S. Uh, And number two, ironically, if you count both legal and the illegal market is cannabis. Uh, The indigenous peoples who taught us both of those plants did not benefit and do not benefit. So how do we do a course correct to make sure that these people I mean with psilocybin we know that a it was the Mazatecs that taught it to Schultes who taught it to us. However, there's two other tribes that use these mushrooms. <coughs> so if you have a, a million dollars to divvy up, uh who do you give it to? Do you give it to the Mazatec City Council? Do you give it to the three tribes? Undoubtedly other tribes will emerge and say, but we've been using that all along as well. And then again, who do you give it to? Do you give it to the chief? Do you give it to the shaman? And these are all very difficult issues. I mean, the most important thing really is to protect the knowledge and protect the indigenous peoples or the peasant peoples, who in some cases know these medicinal plants, these agricultural plants, and then figure out how to distribute these uh, benefits fairly. It's, it, it really hasn't been done satisfactorily in just about any case, but there's a lot of interest and a lot of people uh, trying to do it the right way.
0: Yeah, it's clearly, it's clearly, as you've explained, a bit of a work in progress. Um, normally, when I ask people, Dr. Plotkin, for their performance tip to sort of round off this this podcast, um, I know what I'm going to get back from most people. I've got absolutely no idea what you're going to tell me when I ask you. If you were to impart some knowledge, some learning that you've got from your world about everyday performance and how people can improve themselves on a daily basis um, and improve their performance. What would you tell me that would be?
1: It's very straightforward. I mean, what your mother told you was right. Wash your hands, uh, get a good night's sleep, (laughs) Uh, look after yourself. People are always looking for a panacea, some sort of magic pill from the Amazon or something from the health food store that's going to increase their performance or virility or whatever, whatever, whatever. But, you know, your body is the greatest machine ever created. We're still finding new things about it, you know, look at your microbiota, we're finding out that uh, what, what, what's happening in your stomach and intestines may determine 90% of the quality of your life in many ways. And of course, the joke now in the ethnobotany world is we've been following these guys for 40 years with our pan press uh, to put plants in, whereas we should be following them around with buckets and asking them to defecate into that because it's those microbes which are much more valuable uh, than the plants themselves. But seriously, uh, looking after yourself and and trusting nature and fine-tuning the the machine that nature has given you is the most important thing rather than figuring out it's going to be in a pill or or from a shaman or something which is going to be easily done. So eating right, sleeping right, uh, mental wellness, uh, good sex, all of those things are are, are things that keep you in tip-top shape. And it's frustrating to me to see people that are always looking for this magic something that's going to take them to the next level and are neglecting their own wellness, which is, you know, very simply uh, something that we're all brought up with. So focus on yourself, focus at home, focus on these life lessons you learn starting from childhood and then talk about fine tuning. But don't think that your acid reflux or your stress uh, or, or, or something is going to be cured one session with some uh, shaman that you met on the internet.
0: <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I've learned loads and it's been fascinating. Thank you very much.
1: Well, Georgia, it's been a, a, a pleasure from my side as well. It's nice to be asked such interesting questions by somebody who did their homework.